Any information provided in this episode is not intended nor does it constitute financial, tax, legal, investment or other type of advice and should not be wholly relied upon. Sisters, friends and guests have taken every care to ensure the information provided in this episode and the resources linked on our website sfgpod.com are correct at the time of recording and therefore disclaims liability for any advice acted upon. Hi everyone and welcome to the Sisters, Friends and Guests podcast, a podcast that brings black women's experiences and voices to the centre of the conversation. We're your co-hosts, Jackie, Chrissy, and Sonia. And in this episode, we're in conversation with Tanya Day, a Southeast London estate agent and Stephanie Taylor, co-founder of rent to rent Success. Now in this episode, we'll focus on the cultural impacts and attitudes of home ownership and property investment. The purpose of this conversation really is to highlight and raise awareness to the social impact of home ownership as individuals and the expansion of building property portfolios to build a legacy of generational wealth and in doing so to rewrite the current narrative. Before we get into it, Tanya, Stephanie, would really love to know a little bit about you. Tell us about yourselves and what it is you do. Hi, my name is Tanya Day. You know how challenging it can be to buy your first home or how stressful and anxious the process can be to sell your property and then buy a new one? Well, I work with first-time buyers and homeowners to move home quickly and easily by being their personal estate agent. I am based in southwest London and I have clients in and around the area as well as throughout London and England. Outside of property, I am a mom and a stepmom. I love to go salsa dancing and can't wait to get back to it once everything is open again. Hi, I'm Stephanie Taylor and I invest in buying and developing blocks of flats and converting commercial properties into multi-unit blocks. I also run an award-winning property management agency called HMA Heaven and I'm co-founder of Rent to Rent Success where we help you get started in property with little money using the Rent to Rent strategy. We're hosts of the Rent to Rent Success podcast and YouTube channel and we've got a book called Rent to Rent Success as well with over 155 star reviews on Amazon. I just love being on shows like this to help people get started in property. These are things that I didn't know until I was in my 40s and I would love for people to know you get, yes, you can get started in property with little money and you can start right now from exactly where you are. That's fabulous and thank you for those intros. They're absolutely great. And for the purpose of our listeners, whilst the advice that will be given to our by our guests are easily transferable across all property markets, we're specifically talking about the UK market. So one of the things that I love about this podcast is the fact that as hosts, we span all generations, from baby boomers to millennials, and with Gen Z support, shout out to our lovely ladies doing our social media. Uh, I'm a baby boomer, so first generation of the Windrush generation. And when my parents came to the UK, housing was definitely an issue. And Stephanie, if I can come to you first, whilst many things may have changed, what do you consider the cultural impacts of buying behaviour? Yeah, this is such a great question because recently there was a report in the news saying that in certain London boroughs, that's an important factor actually, they looked at white British compared with black African and black Caribbean and they found that black people in certain London boroughs owned zero property assets. 
And that was quite a shocking statistic. I was more shocked because it seemed like black people don't own property, which we know isn't true. But it was just in these particular London boroughs. But even so, I would want to see in every single place in the UK the black people own property. And I think the barrier is that a, and we've not had the financial education. So let me just tell you one thing, because I could go on all day, which is that somebody on the average UK salary of £25,000 a year, according to the Office of National Statistics, within the last 10 years, they've earned £250,000 or quarter of a million pounds. Now, I know that people will be shouting at their podcasts, shouting at their phones to say, yeah, but most of that is tax. Well, yeah. Once you take the tax out, you've still got a significant pot of money. And we all have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with it? And for many of us, and especially me, previous to getting involved in property and buying assets, we've been spending it on things that don't make money. So all of that wealth has just come through our fingers. We're using it to make other people rich. Whereas if we could just recognize that we have so much, we think of ourselves as not having a lot, we have so much coming to us if we live in this country, and to think about how we can use what we have, either collaborating with other people, or there's lots of different ways to do it. But every single person who wants to, who lives in this rich country that we are all living in, the United Kingdom, can own properties if they want to. And I think we just need to get the message out there more to all communities, but especially to our community and to black people in the UK, that yes, you can, and you absolutely should. That point about collaboration, Stephanie, is so, I mean, I completely agree with everything you've said. And that point about collaboration is so true, because if we think about that Windrush generation, that's exactly what they did. They came, you know, banks weren't lending the money. They threw partners to get deposits. And that's how they did it. They worked together as a community. And you also mentioned particular London brothers. And I know, Tanya, that's your kind of forte, uh, that you specialize in different boroughs within London. What do you think about the kind of gentrification of all these areas that have now come up, like Brixton, that's now called Brixton Village, which I actually found quite hilarious. But what do you think about gentrification in our inner city? I think it's definitely really interesting. A lot of people, when they came over from, you know, the Windrush, even before that, lived in all these supposed gentrification areas. And then when the areas you know, supposedly became up and coming, they realized that they had, a, you know, a large pot of money, their houses had increased in value, and they sold and they moved out. For example, there's an area, Ballam, for example, my family lived there for a long time, and it's almost unrecognizable compared to what it was when they originally were there. You know, what Stephanie was saying before about black people living in specific areas, but don't own property. In Ballam, loads of black people owned property, but they wouldn't necessarily even let other people know that they owned it. It was almost like a secret. So in the survey, a lot of people may own property, but they may not even have completed it accurately by letting people know they own it. My mother just finished a book, I can't remember the name of the book, where this gentleman owned a whole street, like a whole street, till he died, big pardon, no one even knew he owned the whole street. So there's probably lots of secrecy going on within the black community, which information is not passed on to other people. So it's almost a shame, really, that when areas supposedly become gentrified and all these, you know, large supermarkets come in and all these cafes start bringing up, that people of colour aren't necessarily even there anymore. They've kind of moved out their house prices have gone up in value and they thought for example if they've lived in a, a two-bedroom house they thought correctly I could sell this now my house is worth so much more I could move out and buy somewhere bigger so now they've all moved out and all these other people are moving into the area. <laughs> Just a question don't you think it's yes. a bit cheeky that 
you're saying that, oh, as soon as we little put a bougie cafe around the corner, we're now all of a sudden the house. Okay, so like, what's that got to no. do with the perceived value of a property? No, I, d- I don't necessarily mean like that. But say there are the waitresses that we do have, you know, larger establishments coming into an area. And when an area does supposedly become gentrified, you do have those type of businesses coming in, um, which is unfortunate. But you do have specific cafes coming, the Sainsbury's, the waitresses. And even like the John Lewis's, those kind of things coming in, that kind of makes it gentrified. As I guess as we develop on in years, you do have, you know, specific areas that are closer to the zone ones, zone twos. And those specific areas that making the house prices definitely increase and making them affluent in that sense. That's a really interesting point, Tanya. And whilst I was kind of doing research for the show, I came across um, the push to the margins, it's called. And in mm. that report, it says that regeneration should not come at the expense of local ethnic minority working class communities. And if anything, in the past year, it's shown us that in terms of essential workers in relation to COVID, that covers many people who come under that ethnic umbrella because we are the ones called upon for first support in terms of essential working so what happens when we are pushed out to other areas outside London how do we perform those duties of being like first line support mm-hmm. so we have to really kind of be thinking about that and thinking about ways where we home ownership is beneficial for building household wealth and increasing intergenerational economic mobility So if I can come to to Stephanie, do you think that owning your home should be your biggest investment? Great question. Well, if owning your home is not your biggest investment, then that's phenomenal too, because it means you've got a significant investment portfolio beyond your own home. So I think it really depends. Every one of us should be saving to invest. What we talked about earlier is the money either comes through your fingers or you take some of that money and you make it grow and you make it work for you. So should your home be your biggest investment? The answer is it depends. So wherever you're starting from, you can look at where do you want to live and why do you want to live there? For some people, I think we immediately close down. I have to live in London. I can only live in certain areas where you can only buy a house for half a million pounds. Two bed flat is half a million pounds. And so you really have to question yourself. What do you really want out of life? Is that the living experience you want to have? Are you open to living in other areas which may be outside of that area? Could you have a good experience of life living somewhere else that maybe you don't know about yet? So I think it's really important for people to ask themselves those questions because in many areas outside of London, you can easily get inside on the property ladder for £200,000. I think the average property price across the UK is... I haven't looked recently, but it's around £200,000. And therefore, you need to save up £20,000 or you need to save up £10,000. So I think people need to look at that and ask themselves, for some people, they'll want to rent where they are and buy an investment property. Or they want to rent where they are and put their money into stocks and shares investment. So for some people, their stocks and shares investment is going to be worth more than their property or they're not going to have a property investment. So as long as people are investing, I don't mind whether their home is their biggest investment or not. But just a point to close on is that compound interest is a magical thing. 
Now, we've all heard that, but there's actually compound interest calculators online where you can, if you Google compound interest calculators, they come up and you can put in, say, if you've got a lump sum to invest, you can put that in. Or if you're just investing, say you're starting from zero and you're saying, okay, I'm going to invest £200 a month, £300 a month, £400 a month, whatever it happens to be. And then you say how many years you're going to invest it for in the stock market, in funds where your risk is diversified. And you see massive changes between 20 years, 30 years. My son did that recently on a very small amount of investment. And it was something like half a million it was coming up that he would then have at the end of um, the 30-year period that he put in there. And imagine that's only for a tiny amount like £200 a month. And £200 you could easily spend and not have any value for it. And on the other hand, you can save it and invest it and see it grow massively without impacting on your lifestyle. You can take that. We're so keen to pay other people. This is what I say. We're paying our rent. We're paying our council tax. We're paying our gas. We're paying our electric. We do not say to the electric people, sorry, I don't feel like paying you. But when it comes to paying ourselves, we don't pay ourselves. We need to make that £200 or whatever the amount is for you. As long as people are taking an amount from the money they have coming in, from every piece of money that comes in, and they're saving and investing some of it to make that money grow and work for them, then I'm happy. So it was a long answer to a short question. So your home doesn't have to be your biggest investment, but you do have to invest. Yeah, and I think we have to keep checking our finances, don't we? Look at what we're spending. Do we need it? Why do we need it? You know, is it essential? And I think, you know, for people who are saying, I just don't have the money, maybe you do. It's just going in another direction. Stephanie, Jackie, it's funny you save that. I used to struggle to save because at the end of the month, I would have paid all of my expenses, all of my bills, and, you know, I'd have gone out and spent money and I wouldn't have any money to save. So I used to put it off. I used to say to myself, when I start any more money, I'll have that extra money to be able to save. Until I read somewhere, actually, this notion of paying yourself first. So the idea is you pay a certain contribution or percentage of salary that's automatically rooted from your paycheck to a savings or an investment account. And that way you're paying yourself first. So in other words, you're paying yourself first before paying your monthly expenses and making any discretionary purchases. And I found that that way I did have the money, just like you said, Jackie, I did have the money and I started saving and that got me into the habit of saving for any purchases that I want, saving for pension and retirement, that sort of thing, or saving for something in particular. But, it, you know, it basically it got me into the habit of saving and not putting it off because, like I said, for years I kept putting it off when I first started working when I left uni. I'd put it off and I'd put it off and I'd put it off and until I came across this notion of pay yourself first. So yeah, that helped me a lot. You've also got as well, like I'm actually building an asset. So I'm starting, I've started a technology company. So it could all go left, it could all go right. So I kind of see that as me accumulating an asset through something which will work. That's also an asset. So you've got so many people that have side hustles, but they're not looking at how they can go from it being like a solo entrepreneur to being like an entrepreneur people and can generate wealth because technology is a wealth builder. Will I am said it's probably one of the best forms of accumulating wealth in regards to just the volume, but it's so vast and borderless. But 
not as many people are participating. I'm going to be biased, but it is challenging. But there is also the saving option and then other people are investing in side businesses. But looking at and scale them on a mass scale is also, I feel, something which is lacking in the black community. They've got small businesses, but how do you kind of get it for a small, that can be like passed on generational wise? Yeah. I agree with that. That is really important. And obviously, coming from an estate agent perspective, owning property is is awesome. It's, it, it's only one one method of being able to generate wealth, isn't it? Like Stephanie said and Chrissy said, owning, having a specific business, a side hustle, investing, those are all, you know, fantastic ways of being able to generate wealth. I think it's being able to generate wealth and savings is so important growing up my father used to always say save your money save your money but obviously there's more to just saving your money there's a, what do you do with it once you've saved it you know what are you saving it for how long do you save it for there's so much different ways of, of once you've saved the money of what you're going to do with it you know have a pot for an emergency fund for like you know if you don't lose if you lose your job or what have you or you know there's so much different ways of being able to use your money i think it's important of being able to understand from educational perspective the different various ways of of being able to use your money now and for later on and having something to pass on to your children as well that's really important so tanya slightly answered my question about sorry um, it's okay that's a good thing because i was like oh tanya's answered the question and i think stephanie's answered it like where do you start Apart from saving up for a property, like I, I know that a lot of people, or from what I've seen in research or just through networking and online, I have found that there are companies that help people to save up for properties. So there's one specific that is like um, a formalized partner. So they do a collective saving group, and that's called Stepladder, and they are approved by the FCA, the Financial Services Ombudsman. And so they have regulation in regards to having a group of people save and they help you get onto the property ladder. Because sometimes it's just quite challenging saving by yourself. But if there's a group of you doing it, it might actually spur you on a bit more because you've got other people that you kind of making you more accountable. Whereas if you're doing it by yourself, sometimes you might dip in and dip out. But Stephanie, have you got anything to add to where people can start? Yeah, absolutely. The best place to start is manage the money that you have now, whether you think it's a little or you think it's a lot, you think you've been doing it badly or you think you've been doing it well. Just look at all your sources of income and all of your outgoings and then, you know, start to make a plan. Because as we said, first of all, you have to save the money so that you can then invest it. And the other thing that you said that's so important, Chrissy, is that you do need a community around you to do it. So you mentioned Stepladder, which is fantastic. Tanya and I are in the Financial Joy Academy, which is a fantastic place, a network of like-minded people who are all building their wealth. And they've got so many resources within there. And also, so it's all about business building. You talked about earlier about building your business assets. So your side hustle, turning that into a business asset. It's about property and building your wealth through property. It's about investing and building your wealth through investing. And for many decades, I was totally thought that stocks and shares investing was something way not for me. But actually, it's so simple now. And being part of something like uh, the FJA or now I've got all our family into stocks and shares investing and a great way if people are listening and thinking oh but I, I wouldn't know where to start about stocks and shares investing is to open a stocks and shares ISA and to start investing funds because funds you have a diversified risk so instead of getting 0. point something percent in your ISA savings account 
on average over the last 10 years, I believe this is correct, Talia, it's been the 7% return uh, in the stock market. So it will go up and down, so you have to be okay with that. But for many people, that's a phenomenal way. If they're looking to get started in stocks and shares, don't know where to start. So as I say, my mum, my son, my sister, we've all now done it, and that's how we're, we're moving forward. Is that so just great question. Street Bank? Well, there Is are lots of... It's an online platform, and there are lots of different online platforms. So Vanguard, Hargreaves, Landown, Tanya will know other ones. And then you can just choose the one that's the best for you and go on from there. Hi, I'm part of the Financial Academy. So, yeah, they do have so many different types of ways of being able to generate wealth. Right. This is okay. I can definitely vouch for Hargreaves and Lansdowne. I use them, and I find that it's such an easy platform to use as well. You're listening to the Sisters, Friends and Guests podcast, Season 2, Episode 4, Get Me Home with Property Experts Tanya Day and Stephanie Taylor. And have we got an offer for you? Want to unlock your financial potential? Raise funds for a house deposit? Pay off a debt and increase your credit score? Or maybe you need an emergency fund? Well, for this episode, we have partnered with Stepladder, who bring people together into collaborative groups to raise money faster together. So if you want to reach your financial goals and keep track of your progress, go to our website, sfgpod.com and check out our resources page or click on the link in our bio. And for each person who joins, StepLadder will give you a £25 credit. What are you waiting for? Let's use the power of community to stay motivated and on track with our financial goals. Terms and conditions apply. So say, for example, someone who is in debt, what tips or advice would you give them in regards to how can they buy and how would it potentially improve their credit score if they have isn't favourable to getting out a mortgage or getting on the property ladder? So I would start off by, depending on how much debt you are actually in, there are actually organisations that can help you with regards to managing your debt and they can actually, you know, definitely get you started with it, being able to manage how much money you have and being able to allocate money to those specific organizations. You also have the money saving expert. So from my perspective, I would look at making sure you've spoken to all of your creditors, um, see if you can wait of being able to speak to them to be able to manage your payments, let them know how much money you have. They most likely take you through some sort of payment plan, being able to work out how much money you can pay towards them and set up an emergency fund for yourself. So have a bank account where you can, it may not be a lot of money, but that will stop you, emergency fund will stop you from getting back into debt because at some point you would have been relying on some sort of credit, whether it's overdraft or, or credit card or payday loans. The idea is to try and stop as, as soon as possible to stop using those. It may not always be possible, but stop using those and build up an emergency fund yourself. So obviously with Financial Joy Academy and places like Dave Ramsey, they help you with changing your mindset. So it's also about mindset when it comes to the debt. You always think, oh my gosh, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough money. If we're at, let's say a minimum, you get paid like £100 a week, and you, you spend £100 a week, you're always going to be in debt. If you can put like even £10 aside by not spending that, like Stephanie said, you always have so much money and you always, you know, spend every single penny. It'll be hard for you to ever get out of debt. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. So kind of manage the debt you have and being able to save a little bit so you can eventually not have to rely on credit anymore. And then by improving your financial status, you'll then be able to be in a better, better position to be able to get a mortgage and, and to be able to be able to buy property. Stephanie? 
what are your yeah so a lot of people who come to us to find out about rent to rent success and to start in property without buying it this is a question that comes up all the time how can I do it if I've got bad credit you can actually do it if you have got bad credit but I've got the four-step FTFP process. It's a bit of a tongue twister. The first one is forgive yourself because the thing is, like you were just saying, Tanya, a lot of us let ourselves get hung up in that self-flagellation, hating yourself, criticizing, and it's really hard to move forward from there. So like, just forgive yourself. Whatever's happened has happened. Maybe somebody's let you down. Maybe it's something that you did. That's number one. Number two is think of yourself as a wealth creator. And this is all about, you've got your money coming in from your job, but there are other ways for you to be able to generate income. And it's just open your mind to, how could I? And for every single one of us, there will be a way. But sometimes you just got to let that thought percolate through your mind so that it comes up. And the next one is obviously fix the bucket and fix your credit. Now, there's lots of amazing materials out there to help people do that. But it boils down to getting yourself to the situation where there's no holes in your bucket. So you've got more money coming in than going out. And for some people, they need to make big changes to be able to make that happen. And so for other people, it's smaller changes. But I really love The Millionaire Next Door and books like that because they just show you how anyone can become a millionaire just by taking the simple step of paying yourself first and that's step four to start consistently paying yourself first so initially you're starting off with savings and then that savings those savings some of them you're going to be investing and the important thing to get to is that your money makes money without you having to exchange your time for it Stephanie, what would you say to somebody? What advice would you give someone who is in the process of buying their first house, for example? So, um, but with bad credit or poor credit, uh, poor credit score. So, for example, they're getting ready to buy their first house. They've got the deposit ready, but they're now approaching lenders to apply for a mortgage. But let's say a year or two years ago, they were either had a default payment or late payments, and that's affected their credit score. What would you say to somebody that in that position? How can bad or poor credit affect them when applying for a mortgage? Well, many people are in that situation and just fix it up as much as you can in terms of your credit. Those things are going to be on there uh, in most cases for six years. But it's worth speaking to a broker because sometimes we think we can't get a mortgage with bad credit. But depending, each type of bad credit will be different. And they will. the, the likelihood is that there are mortgage lenders who will lend to you but you just need a really good broker who understands your situation and can guide you through the process. And it might be that A, you can collaborate with somebody else to buy a property or that you can buy a property on your own before the six years are up or the other alternative is to wait until the six years are up and then put yourself in a really good position that you would buy a property. But that can be frustrating if you've already got your deposit saved and you're ready to go now. And obviously property prices typically are always going up. So you want to buy as soon as possible. So I think the first step, speak to a broker because more might be possible than you think. Second step, think about get, getting uh, a guarantor or somebody else to back up your mortgage so that the lender will be happy to lend to you. I was actually going to say those exact same things. 
Steffi's very eloquent. <laughs> there's definitely so, there's so many mortgage brokers out there. Don't penalize yourself by just thinking you can only go with one or two. And some mortgage brokers don't charge you. They get paid by the, the mortgage company that you get. So, you know, you have to consider all your options. Like, speak to people that you know who, who've got a mortgage. Um, even do research on the internet. There's always ways of if what you want to happen. There's always ways of definitely making it happen. But it may not necessarily happen right now, but it's always possible to, you know, happen in, in a year or so's time. So I know that situation from a few people that I know. So definitely keep your head up. Don't think negatively because where there's a will, as my mom said, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> can, can I just add a, or ask a question around that, actually? And I know at the moment, I don't know if you've read all the reports in the States about the cultural disparity with people being with well people with mortgage owners people who are being able to apply for mortgages so there is a cultural disparity in terms of applying for mortgages and the value of your home would you say that that exists in the UK definitely I think it's what you're talking about but heard a report that said that somebody was selling their house and they had the real estate agent round it was in America and it was a black owner and the house was valued at one price. And then she got a friend to stand in the following day for another realtor came around and doubled the value of the property with a white person owning the property. That's right. Yeah, that's the report I've read. <laughs> well, that, that was an actual headline and I read the article. And then since then, there have been quite a few people that have come forward and said similar things. So, would you, it, I mean, you've got a wealth of experience of being in the property industry, would you say that that exists in the UK? Definitely. I think people judge. We all judge and we do things. We go to biases, sometimes unconscious, sometimes conscious. But I think that we just need to stand up and get on with it. I think people are sometimes trying to pull you down or, you know, not allow you. But we need to, you know, that Labby Sifri song, something inside so strong, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, we are moving forwards we are collaborating together we are building wealth we're building our assets we're saving our funds we're not the consumer that's what we're known as you know in the black community it's known as we are the consumers well i would love to see it over the next uh, decade turn into we are the wealth builders and um, that's what we're all about and people can try with their tactics but it's not going to hold us back Exactly. I was going to say, I saw that exact same um, article myself and I was really trying to trying to process the same thoughts in my head if that exact same thing happens over here. And I've valued a couple of properties myself and obviously I, I say I don't have that bias, but I may well have that unconscious bias myself with, you know, judging a European property, a property owned by a European person as opposed to property owned by a black person. Hoping I don't, but you know, I've tried to bring up the conversation with some other colleagues of mine and it's a bit difficult to try and approach them because even with the organisation that I'm associated with, there aren't too many people, I don't quite like saying this, but there aren't too many people of, of colour. There aren't many black people there, African, Caribbean, you know, Asian. So to try and have that kind of conversation, it's, kind of, it's a bit difficult to bring up, if that makes sense. And even just, you know, because I do quite a lot of door knocking, even trying to have a conversation with people about I'm a black female, I'm going to people's front doors, is there that kind of misconception they probably don't want to answer because I'm, I'm black people standing at the door, as opposed to if maybe my European colleague may go and knock at the same door, they get better results than me. So I kind of a bit of a, a loss as to, as to exactly, you know, how, how to how to approach that with my colleagues, but 
I've asked them a couple of them about that specific article, and they said no, no, of course we don't. So <laughs> well, obviously they're going to say no, but I guess there's a whole unconscious bias involved in there as well, isn't it? Well, it when, did happen what, what, in the UK. Sorry to cut you. Was it that did happen in the UK? Because the um, there was a lady who had the rent yes, yes. Yes. association, and she was being charged more than her white neighbour. And they, mm-hmm. the actual housing is a back payment. Oh my goodness. Charity on the rent payment. So it is happening, but unless you talk to your neighbours and you're doing this research and the data sourcing yourself, it's going to be very hard for you to know that you're being um, disadvantaged. Absolutely. I guess when it comes to, especially living in London, talking to your neighbours is not exactly something that many, <laughs> many yeah. people even do. Just talk, <laughs> talking to your neighbours or even people down the road, you know, not, not, it's not necessarily something people in London, maybe more outside of outside of London, around the UK, people will talk to each other a bit more. But yeah, the article that I read was actually an American lady who did that. So it's really sad. So it's like the, obviously, where we talk to value properties is to you know look at look at the actual property itself, look at other properties in the area, look at the square footage, compare it to other properties that have sold, other properties that are on the market. And by doing all of that, you're not necessarily even looking at the person who, who owns the property. But obviously, when you go into the property, you're then looking at the, the condition of the property when you're in there. And by doing that, we're obviously looking at people's pictures and the surroundings and that kind of thing. So very sad. It's, and it's, it's, so it's if disgusting, people, in fact. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So if people can't get onto the property that's traditionally, like getting a mortgage outright, what are both of your views on shared ownership? And do you feel it's, what do you think of that route people going down? I think in one aspect, I think it's a really good idea that people who aren't able to own a property are actually able to own, even if it's a percentage of a property, they're able to own, they get able to get onto the step ladder, so to speak, of, of owning a property. Then in one respect, I think it's quite an expensive way to own a property as well, because you can't obviously, they, they're saying you can't afford to buy the whole property, but yet you're paying rent. So in effect, you're almost paying what would be effect a, a whole mortgage if you own the whole property. So I know a couple of friends were looking into getting a shared ownership, but it just seems so expensive. Then I wouldn't want to discourage someone to not do it because it, it, if we're brought up to kind of own a property, in my family anyway, we're brought up to own property. So if that's your way of being able to do it, then I think you should you should definitely go for it. I just think it's, it's kind of expensive. Yeah, I think it will really be a balancing act. Like you were saying, Tanya, you've really got to assess your situation in areas where you really need a high deposit maybe it is worthwhile even though it's more an expensive way to own maybe for some people it's just what they need to get them in the right position but for other people it won't be so it'll really depend on going down into their personal situation and seeing if it really makes sense for them but I can see Chrissy that maybe you've got views on it so I'd love to know for me yeah (laughs) I don't have a view on it at all I I think sometimes when it comes to your living situation I think it's awesome to be able to consider living out of where you've grown up so for example like you said living out of London living in other areas but what I found with people that I know in my community when you grow up and you want to you know move out you tend to move to nearer your family um, your social circles kind of what you know and those who tend to branch out are almost considered quite courageous <laughs> quite courageous and quite brave in a sense so if you can you know and you're not necessarily forced to stay within your close-knit family and your close-knit circle then I think it's it's wonderful you should definitely 
consider moving out where you can afford to buy buy more. Um, I have friends that live in Greenwich, for example, and you know if they sold their house, they can buy almost like a a double size house if they moved in even just out you know in Luton or or you know anywhere you know outside of London. It's a bit crazy house prices, but with family, you know you have your close knit close knit brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, especially if you have children. You know, you, you have that kind of support system, especially if you're living in London, you have that support system around you. So it can be a bit difficult to just up and leave if you've got a small young family to up and leave and then leave, you know, London and your support system to then, you know, move out just for having a larger house. Does that make sense? So, yeah, I, I personally, I find because I'm living in London and I've got a child. So then as much as I would love a huge four bedroom house with a garage and, and swimming pool and everything else. <laughs> I've got my it's a very my support system here with the you know the the childcare and the schools and you know family so for me it'd be a bit difficult but you know other people can consider it so it's definitely something to consider. And then what are like the other additional add-ons that people need to be aware of? Yeah there's buying costs there's stamp duty there's obviously when you move in you're going to need furniture you're going to need a refurbishment but I think people shouldn't let that put them off because you know, you take the steps and as you go forward, you make it better and better and better. I think the thing that people, what I see people wanting is they want everything to be as though it's from Homes and Gardens magazine the day they move in. So they're saying, oh yeah, I need £10,000. But what about if you could just do it over time or take the first step, get the property, then take the next step. All of this time, money's still coming in you know uh, because we've got it so that we've got more money coming in than going out uh, we've got all that savings we've got the money that we've already saved and we've got the money we're investing you know I think we just need to be easier on ourselves about the speed at which we get to the destination especially if we're younger which a lot of younger people who may be in their 20s early 30s and um, they don't want to buy the property that they can afford I think it's also important as well um, to look at the type of property that you want to purchase so you don't have to look for your forever home straight away <laughs> you're just good you're, you're trying to get your foot on the ladder so even if it's for example an ex-council property there's nothing wrong with that you know if, if it's suitable for you and it's suitable for your needs just look at your budget and what you can afford within your budget in terms of mortgage and everything you don't have to look for a property that's move-in ready there's nothing wrong with moving in to a property that's got bright green and bright orange walls <laughs> it's horrible don't get me wrong but that may give you some negotiation room in terms of being able to negotiate the price and bring the price down so when you're looking at property it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be structurally sound so it's not going to fall down around your ears and then once you've found the property that you want then obviously set some money aside to pay for things like um your, your stamp duty, your solicitor's fees, your your moving costs. And um, and as Stephanie said, you can decorate over time. You know, is property okay for you to live in? Yes, it's got bright green, orange walls, whatever, however it looks. But, you know, can you turn on the tap? Does it, there's, have you got hot water? Have, you know, can you, you combine oven and, and those things a little bit later? Does it come with that already? Is it usable? Can you just give it a place, a little bit of a clean, and you're, you're okay to go, you know? So I think those things are important when you're looking. You don't have to be... You know, it doesn't have to be perfect as soon as you move in. Those things can come a little bit later. Yeah, because all the time people are waiting, the price of property is going up. Absolutely. So there's that old fashioned phrase, don't wait to buy property, buy property and wait. And wait. 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, I just encourage people to get excited about the opportunity and start moving towards it, whatever the first step is, whether it's getting your credit straight, whether it's, you know, whether you've already got your deposit saved and you're ready to start looking and you need to start speaking to a broker about what's possible for your individual circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. As Stephanie said, just, you know, buying property, just getting into property, you don't necessarily have to have to buy to own. You can buy to rent, you can you can get a property. Thanks, Tanya. What we've been talking about is owning your own home, which is phenomenal. But another thing that we can also do is buy to let property. But this is the bit that people often don't know, is that you can also rent property and make money from it. So you can, instead of buying a property, what would normally happen, you would have about £50,000 for your deposit, for your refurbishment, for your other buying costs that is inside that property. And you will then be getting 20 to £200, £300 a month profit on that property, a normal single let. So that's a lot of money you need to get started and a little bit of money that you get every month. But with rent to rent, what happens is you can put in, instead of putting in £50,000, you can put in nothing. Sometimes it's a few hundred pounds. Sometimes it's a few thousand pounds. You can rent that property and you can rent it out to other people. Usually that's as a house share with five people or more sharing in one house, uh, sharing the kitchen and bathroom, having their own bedroom, sometimes having en suites. So you can take that property, put in a small investment, a few hundred to a few thousand pounds, and then you can make between 500 and over a thousand pounds every month on a property you don't own and that's what rent to rent is and there's an ethical way to do this where everybody wins uh, where landlords will choose you even though you've only just started in the rent to rent success podcast we have lots of people who come on the show who've been doing rent to rent even though they didn't have a lot of money to start off with or they had bad credit and i think it's really inspiring people to people to be able to see and if people would like to just know what is this rent to rent we have got a free guide and masterclass on our website and it's at rent to rent success.com and then that just gives you some information so you can have a look and see is this is this for me so that's a great way to just take it further if you want to oh and we have our book rent to rent success as well that's on amazon Thanks, Stephanie. We'll put both of your details in the show notes, including any additional resources and links to your respective websites. But before we wrap up, we'd really like to get your view, both of your views on what does it mean to create a legacy? You know, have we had enough time since the Windrush generation to be able to create a legacy or do we need another one or two generations after us to be able to create that generational wealth? And so what it means to me is it's very important to me. I only have one son, but what it means more than just my one son is what legacy am I leaving behind for the world? So we've built up our property portfolio. At the moment, it's 28 units. We want to bring it up way beyond that. But we need a way to be able to pass on those properties in trust, not only to my son, but that would be part of it but to a charity, a charitable trust that, you know, when we've gone, um, you know, decades into the future, that we've still got something that's created in the world that outlives us and that is doing good in the world. So that's something that really excites me. And so what I just encourage people to get started with is if you're just at the beginning, get started at the beginning. But once you've got assets, there will be people listening here who already have a property portfolio, for example. 
And they may not have given much thought to inheritance tax. When you die, do you want the government to take half of your money? It's possible to set up trusts to pass on your property to your children, where your children then own the assets in a different way. Well, they're borrowing the assets from the trust, so they get they can use those assets while they're alive, and then it passes on to the next generation and so on. Because if, for example, your child got married to somebody and then they divorced, typically the divorce would take, you know, the, the other partner would take half the money. If the assets are held in trust, that doesn't happen. So it means that the assets can go on in your family for generations and your grandchildren's grandchildren can toast to your success and what you created for so many generations down the line. But I think all of us have to get as excited about talking about inheritance tax as we are talking about, you know, um, sports and what's happened on certain TV programs. That is fantastic. Give us one or two myths about investing or buying property. For me, myths which are not true is property is only owned by the rich and wealthy and can't be passed down, which we know isn't true. And black people cannot own property, which is, again, definitely not true. Yeah, I think those are the best myths, Tanya. And I suppose the the one that springs to my mind is you have to buy property to make money from property. You can actually rent property and make a lot of money from property as well without buying it. 100%. 100%. And it's lovely to hear that from you both because one of the things that I am keen on, it's all very well having a discussion, but it's got to be how do we change this narrative? Yeah. And that is definitely how we should be doing it. And that's creating a legacy. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm glad you say that. We actually have investment episodes coming up. So we've got various ways of investing from trading to alternative ways of investing like cryptocurrency. So we'll get into more detail on those topics during those episodes. But Tanya, tell me, what are your views on creating a legacy? What does it mean to you to create generational wealth? So I strongly believe in in creating generational wealth. My tactic and my family's tactic is generating that through property. So I can go back as far as, as my granddad on my, on my dad's side. Um, he came over, he bought property here in London. He then went back to Jamaica and bought more property in Jamaica. He taught my father to do the same. My father has done that as well. He's um, passed that information on to my brothers and I. He's got property here in, in London and in Jamaica also. He's passed that information on to us. We're, we're doing the same. I've got property who I hope to leave on to, on to my, my daughter. I've got one daughter. But I've also got stepchildren as well. So I'm also, you know, passing that information on to them and teaching them as much information as I have. My um, estate agent business is all about creating generational wealth. Um, obviously, through property, I want to teach as much people as possible about being able to, you know, save money and being able to invest in property. Because edu- financial education is extremely important, but, um, you know, land isn't going to be keep being developed. <laughs> property may be. So at the end of the day, owning property and owning, owning the land that, that is built in is, 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 is fantastic. It's, it's what we can pass on to our children. When we're not here, they're going to have something that, that will, you know, keep going forever. So, yeah. Absolutely. Do you want to tell uh, our listeners how and where to find you? What are your socials? So my name is um, Tanya Day. I can be found on Facebook, Tanya Day Estate Agent, and also on Instagram, which is my handle is Tanya Day Estate Agent also. I really want to offer all listeners something special for listening to the podcast today. The first five people that contact me will have the choice of two offers. 
The first is a property marketing and completion package, which will be bespoke to them worth £7,500. They will get a free consultation, which will involve going through the property valuation and potential marketing strategies, professional photographs, floor plan, and the property will be listed on Rightmove and Zoopla at a minimum. You'll receive company viewings by myself, obviously dependent upon the location. The second offer will be buying agent consultation. So if you are considering buying a property, I will give you a consultation which will involve strategies to find properties advertised and not advertised, how to prepare yourself so your offer stands out from others offering on the same property, and offer details on the property industry professionals such as solicitors, EPC or gas certificate uh, companies for you. So if you are interested in one of those two offers, um, please contact me. You can contact me on Facebook, which you'll find me under the name of Tanya Estate Agent, or Instagram, which is also the name Tanya Estate Agent, or on YouTube, which is Tanya Day Estate Agent. Great. And uh, I'm Stephanie Taylor, and my website is rent to rent success and I also have a book, uh, Rent to Rent Success, and I would love to offer the book to any listeners. If you uh, enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review for the podcast, the SFG podcast. And if you screenshot me the review to support at renttorentsuccess.com, Angelica will put you a paperback book in the post for you. So, um, yeah, if you'd like a free copy of the book... Um, Thank you, Stephanie. That's lovely. Thank you. I've really enjoyed having you all here. So to all my sisters, to all my guests and all our friends who are listening to this podcast, thank you very much and see you next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tanya and Stephanie today. This topic was one we're really excited to cover because, you know, we feel as black women, home ownership is so beneficial for building household wealth and increasing intergenerational economic mobility. And it is really vital that we educate our children to understand the importance of building a legacy of generational wealth. What were your thoughts about this? We'd love to hear from you. Let's keep the conversation going. Follow us on sisters, friends and guests on all our socials as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And do use hashtag Black Women in Conversation, hashtag SFGpod. Or you can send us a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash SFG hyphen pod. Don't worry, you can find all of these details on our website. And now for our massive listener giveaway this week, you guys. Um, this is an amazing, amazing offers from both Tanya and Stephanie. So we've got three different sets of prizes, two from Tanya and one from Stephanie. Prize details can be found on our website and all our socials. And before we go, this week's song choice is, of course, Get Me Home by Foxy Brown and Blackstreet. If you're a woman of a particular age, the song will take you back to 1996. It certainly brought back some memories for us that we've been singing and dancing all week listening to this, so we hope you enjoy this too. We'll let this play out. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye.